If you have your Bibles, open up to Hebrews uh, chapter 1. If you have been with us since the beginning of February, we have been in this series in the book of Hebrews. And in Hebrews, we have been going chapter by chapter through the book. Now, as we've gone chapter by chapter, we have learned a lot of rich theological truth about who Jesus is. And, and the theme throughout has been this. Jesus is absolutely supreme. His authority is supreme. His effectiveness is supreme. And his intimacy is supreme. But it's good sometimes that the step back as you're going chapter by chapter and drill down further on the truth that God has revealed to us about his son. So we're going to do that. The next two weeks, we're going to step back, go back to the the beginning where our journey started in Hebrews 1, and we're going to look at two of the seven excellencies of Jesus Christ. So let's refresh our memories. Uh, Open your Bibles, Hebrews 1, look at verses 1 through 3 where we we, we learn back in February these seven excellencies. Scripture says long ago, and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Scripture says, since the beginning of time, God has had a desire for man to know him. And throughout history, he has spoken to man in various ways, including through the prophets. And he's telling his his Hebrew audience here in Hebrews 1 that in these last days, he has spoken through his son, Jesus Christ. He's showing that that Jesus Christ is the supreme way in which we can know God. And scripture tells us he is the only way to have a relationship with God. And in verse 2, we see the first two excellencies of Jesus Christ. They are Jesus is the heir of all things and Jesus is the creator. Next week, we're going to focus on the importance of Jesus as the creator for our lives. But today, we're going to nail down what does this mean? What does it mean that Jesus is the heir of all things, and how does that need to impact our lives today? Everything we learn of Christ should also cause impact to our lives. So first, I want to talk about that word heir. In the Greek, it means what you probably think it would mean. It means one who receives an inheritance. In the Old Testament, uh, heirs were most often firstborn sons born of legitimate wives and not concubines. And if they had that that firstborn status, they they got two things. One, they got the authority of their father after their father passed, and they got a double portion of inheritance compared to their brothers. And, And the Hebrew audience here would have understood the importance of being an heir, the importance of the birthright that they received. And, and, and the author is using this language to say, well, compared to any other heir that's ever existed and ever will, Jesus is supreme because he's, he's the heir of all things. Everything's coming to him. So maybe the, the Jewish audience was thinking, well, what does that even mean? And what does that even mean for my life? Well, let's look at that. I want to drill down on this this morning and and look at first, what about Jesus? What makes him the rightful heir of all things? Here's the first thing. Jesus is the heir of all things because he is 
the eternal Son of God. He's called the Son here in Hebrews 1. And seven times in Hebrews alone, he gets this title, Son of God, as the writer goes through. Actually, that title is important because that is the title that infuriated the Jewish accusers when Jesus was on trial. In John 19, he's under trial before Pontius Pilate, and this is what infuriated the Jews. It says in John 19, 7, we have a law, and according to that law, he, Jesus, ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. How dare he? Blasphemy. He's saying he's the son of God. Why? That title meant something. To be the son of God meant that you are claiming to have the same nature as God. You are God. You're coexistent. You're co-equal. You're co-eternal with the Father and the Spirit. And in Hebrews 1-2, the author says he was appointed. That, that word appoint means set in authority. Jesus has the authority as the Son of God. There's never a time when he wasn't the Son of God, and there will never be a time when he's not the Son of God. In Hebrews chapter 13, where we'll get later down the road in our journey, it says this, Jesus Christ, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. For the Jews, also, that title firstborn was more a status of rank. David, who was obviously not the firstborn son of Jesse, in Psalm 89, he's called the firstborn because of his rank over Israel. Well, Jesus, based off who he is, he's God. By nature, he's eternal. Scripture calls him the firstborn of all creation. Colossians 1.15 says this, the son is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. So even if we stopped right there, just based off who Jesus Christ is, by position as God, and by his nature eternal, and by his rank over all creation as the firstborn, he is rightfully called the heir of all things. But I want to look at two of the functions of Christ, two things that he does as the son of God. Here's the first thing. Jesus is the heir of all things because he is in control of all things. Hebrews 2, 7 and 8 says, you made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. And now in putting everything in subjection to him, he, God, left nothing outside of his control. It's almost like, like this stage. If the world was this stage, Jesus is working all things according to his will, like, like a great conductor of an orchestra. Everything happens under the will of Christ, including everything in our lives. And some of you might be here saying, well, it doesn't feel like he's in control sometimes. And I'm here to tell you as a, a theological trained young man, every day stuff happens that I don't understand. Sometimes things happen where I just don't get it. Like I know he's, un, he's in control of all things, but, but man, I don't get it sometimes. But you know what? I'm going to trust God's word. And not only is God in control of all things, scripture says he does everything for our good. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that for those who love God, believers, man, we can trust that all things work together for good for those who are called according 
to his purpose. Uh, Zeb Thomas, our uh, Washington campus director, this week we were discussing as a staff the omnipotence of God. That means God's all-powerful. And Zeb was just sharing at the table, man, watching the news this week, it is chaos. We got North Korea. Who knows what's going to happen there? Uh, We have all the other things going on in our country. And he says, you know what? Do you guys feel it? I feel it. Anxiety is high in the world. Worry is high in the world. And we talked about, but you know what? We are set apart as believers. We're different. We serve a God who's all-powerful. And scripture says, based off who Jesus is, there's nothing outside of his control. We have that that's different than the world. That's who Jesus is as the heir of all things. And third, this one should amaze you. I don't care if you've been walking with Jesus Christ for 60 years, or maybe today is the day that God calls you to himself. Jesus is also the heir of all things because he is the Savior. As Savior, Jesus inherits the souls of those who trust in him alone for their salvation. That that needs to resonate in your minds and hearts this morning. Jesus, heir of all creation. You know what he calls you? If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, he calls you his glorious inheritance. He calls you his riches. That's how valued you are in Jesus Christ. Paul, to the church in Ephesus, who was going through a lot of stuff, he wanted to make sure they knew how valued they were in Christ. Listen to these words. Ephesians 1, 17 through 18. I keep asking, and ESV says, I'm praying for this, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Well, what about, what do I want to know about him better? I pray that the eyes of your heart may be opened, enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in who? His holy people, you and I. Paul prayed that no matter what's going on in your life, church, I pray that the God, God opens your heart that the spirit of God that resides in every believer would open your heart and mind to understand how valued and loved and cherished you are as a child of the living God. You are his glorious inheritance. Above all else, that, that God inherits, Jesus inherits, he calls us. We're his glorious inheritance. He loves us that much. So we know he, by position, is the son of God. We, we know he's in control of all things. We know, we know as Savior he inherits the souls of those who trust in him. And, and that's great, right? He's the heir of all things. Well, well what does that mean for you and I? What does it, how does that truth impact our lives? And we're going to look at that now. And you might have heard these words we're going to talk about today, but they should never get old. Or maybe today you've, you've never been called these words And you need to hear it for the first time. And this truth needs to become real in your life. Here's the first thing. Actually, we're going to let God's word show us. So turn to Romans 8. Turn to Romans chapter 8 with me. I've been praying this week. There's so many passages we could turn to to understand this truth. And I believe God wants us to look at Romans 8. So so turn to Romans 8. And while you're doing that, um, Paul's writing here to the church in Rome. And in this chapter, he's, in, he's empowering them to live by the Spirit of God. The Spirit resides in you. He's saying live by the Spirit, and he wants them to find their security in Jesus. And in Rome, during this time, if you adopted a child, the adopted child 
had all new rights in their family. Their past was gone. They were brand new, including if that child brought any debt with them, wiped clean, brand new. So Paul's using this concept of adoption to help them understand who they are in Jesus Christ. Look at verses 14 through 17 with me in Romans 8. Paul says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. In the NIV, it says children of God. This is all believers here. He says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That Aramaic word, Abba, that intimacy of a father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. All right, we're going to drill down here in Romans 8 and unpack what does this mean for us as fellow heirs with Christ. Well, when you trust in Jesus Christ, we've talked about this, the Holy Spirit comes within you and you become an adopted child of God. And not just adopted a child of God, a fellow heir with Jesus. And here's what that means. First, as a fellow heir with Christ, everything changes, including your significance. Your significance is now in Jesus Christ. Men and women of God, a lot of you have great careers, right? And those are important. God says in Colossians 3, 23, everything we do, including your jobs, you do it unto the Lord. And it's a provision for your family. But your career doesn't define you. It's what you do. It is not who you are. Your significance is as a child of the living God. Your possessions, all the things that God has given you, your status, right? It's not based off what neighborhood you live in. It's not based off what house you have or or cars you have. We try to tell that to our youth in Wilkinsburg. It's not about what's here. It's about what's up there. And he calls you a child of God. Your status is a child of God and fellow heir with Jesus Christ. Teenagers. If there are teenagers or young people here, listen to me. My wife and I have worked in youth ministry for 10 years. I saw way too many young people find their significance in some boyfriend some girlfriend, or some social club. Never let some boy or girl or anyone else tell you who you are or what you should change about yourself. Never. Psalm 139, we're going to dig into this next week. God designed you exactly the way he wanted you to be. The way you look, God wanted you that way. The abilities you have, God gave them to you. The weird quirks you have, we all got them. He gave those to you too. My wife will tell you, I have a ton of them. But I want you to know, as a young person, you need to know that your significance is in Jesus Christ. He loves you. And as a fellow heir with him, find your significance in him, not in anyone else or anything else. That's the first thing. Second, Scripture tells us our security is now in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 17 in Romans 8. Paul does not sugarcoat this, right? He says, if we're going to be fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him. How many of you would agree that Jesus Christ, well, here on earth, suffered a little bit? Did you guys agree with that? Is that in Scripture? Well, guess what? As fellow heirs with Christ, we will also experience suffering. Now, I don't know what that looks like for every believer. But if we're going to stand for Christ in this world, we're going to face suffering. 
persecution. In Rome and, and the church here, man, they, it was life or death. A lot of people died because they stood with Christ. And Paul wants them to find their security in Jesus. Now, we here are blessed to worship in a country that we walked in the South Hills this morning, no issues. Washington, Robinson, Wilkinsburg, wherever you're at online, you, you can freely watch this service and worship God. So maybe we don't feel the life or death security, but we might get complacent and we start putting our security in something else. For some of you, it's what we talked about, your career. You lose that, you're done. You have put all your security in who you are as whatever that is. For some, it's your possessions. For some, it's a relationship. You lose that one person, you're done. Because you have put all your security in them instead of God. Jesus says this. He says this in John 10, 28. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Our security always has to be in Jesus Christ first and foremost. Because as fellow heirs, we have an inheritance with him which will never fade away. 1 Peter 1.4 says, To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Even our physical bodies, every day, slowly fading away. Our hope and security is in Jesus Christ. So I'm hoping this is better than the first service. Do we have any Grove City College alumni or people here? Any? Oh, there we go. We got a few this service. Somehow, 9 a.m. nothing. Uh, Zeb and, and, and Tom, let me know. I know in Wilkinsburg we have a few. So, so Kristen and I, we went to Grove City College. And uh, a lot of our family went to Grove City College. It's just one hour north of Pittsburgh, including uh, Kristen's brother, Jay, and our sister-in-law, Alyssa. Well, Grove City has this alumni magazine called the Gee Dunk, and every quarter uh, the alumni magazine comes out. And, and this quarter, Lissa, our sister-in-law, was the feature story. You see, last year at 27 years old, Chris, uh, Lissa was diagnosed with stage 3 breast cancer. Through that year-long battle, Lissa decided that she was going to keep a blog The purpose of this blog was to encourage people experiencing life's battles like herself. I can tell you that blog has inspired so many women and so many people who were blessed to watch Lissa lean on God during the 16 chemo treatments, during surgery, 33 radiation treatments. We praise God right now that Lissa is clean of cancer. We praise him for that. Well, this article, what it did was it focused on some of those blog posts, focused on some of the things she went through throughout that year and and what the blog did for her and the people who read it. I want to read you one blog post from September of 2016. The title of this post is No One Falls Short. This was written right after Lissa and surgery had a PCR scan. Let me explain this. PCR stands for pathologic complete response. It's when they test the infected area during surgery to see how many remaining cancer cells they are. And this test is key because if she had a PCR, good thing, a complete response, that means the levels were below 10%. So chance of recurrence over the next five years is low. If that test comes back and says no PCR, 
that means that chance of recurrence is much higher, about 40 or 50%. Well, her test came back showing no PCR, meaning she has that higher rate of recurrence. This was another blow to Lissa. But I want you to listen to her post from September, and she's here this morning, so thank you, Lissa, for allowing me to use your testimony. Listen to these words. She says, there it was, wrapped up in a bunch of other significant statistics and results from my pathology report. All I heard was, quote, you did not have a PCR. And tally up, kick number two to the gut of 2016. But listen to her perspective. Each day that I open my eyes, I'm moving toward healing. Whether that healing be earthly or eternal, I have full and complete confidence in this. I'm choosing to embrace today. I'm choosing to walk in faith with the ultimate healer. I'm choosing to take this and do what I can with it, whatever I can, wherever I can. So scripture says in Romans 3, 23, that all falls short of the glory of God. We can't get to him on our own. Her blog says no one falls short. Why? Because as a believer in Jesus Christ, listen, knows cancer could take her body, but she will never fall short of the inheritance that God has for her because she's in the security of Jesus Christ. That's who we are. Man, as fellow heirs with Christ, we have the security of knowing no matter what this world throws at us, we can stand firm in the security as a fellow heir with Jesus that that inheritance is guaranteed. It is guaranteed. My encouragement is, man, we need to live that. We need to live that out of what it means to be a fellow heir with Christ secure in him. You know, in Wilkinsburg, another thing that often happens is we have children who grew up in, in either families that, that are, are rough or single parents. And, and I've met with, with kids and grown adults who still struggle today because their own father or their own mother said, you're no good. You'll never amount to anything. Well, the third thing that I love about who we are in Christ, we're accepted. We are accepted as a child of God. Remember, by adoption in God's family, we receive full rights as a child of God. And man, the fact that I can tell those children, men and women, God loves you. And when you trust in Jesus Christ, he fully accepts you and recognizes you as his child and a fellow heir with Jesus Christ. You are fully accepted as a child of God. And just as in Roman adoption, when all debts were canceled, wiped out, I can say, you know what? When you trust in Jesus, you're also forgiven. You are completely forgiven of all your sin. I love Colossians 1, 21 through 22. Paul says, this is who you were, but this is who you are. He says, once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, Behavior, But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy, set apart, perfect in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. That is amazing, right? With all the junk I have and all the junk I've done, 
as a fellow heir with Christ, I'm presented before God and he sees the holiness of his son. I'm free from accusation because of who I am in Jesus Christ. So, uh, men out there, I want to ask husbands out there, have you ever had like a romantic idea that turned out really bad? Anybody have anything? There's more hands on that one. Okay. I'm sure out there. So, well, if you need an idea that will go bad, just talk to me after this one. So, uh, Kristen and I did a West Coast trip years ago, and we were going to bike across the Golden Gate Bridge. How romantic is that, right? Beautiful, beautiful, historic bridge, beautiful views. It wasn't even that bad of a day. So we ran our bikes below the bridge, and then you start going up. Well, as we're going up, this tour group's coming down, and they look destroyed. They look distressed. Their faces are like, they're, they don't know what's going on. Hair is everywhere. And I didn't factor in, there's a lot of wind on the Golden Gate Bridge based off where the bay is and the ocean winds. And, and my wife will tell you that was probably the hardest bike ride we ever had. At one point we were biking, we didn't know we were moving. It was that rough. So uh, not only was it a, a bad dating experience that I had to make up for that one, um, I did some research because I was thinking, all right, if it's hard to bike on this thing, how did you build it? I mean, how did you build this? with these conditions. So I did some research. So the Golden Gate Bridge and the Bay Bridge, the Bay Bridge is just opposite of the Golden Gate that connects San Francisco to, to Oakland. They were both completed in 1937, six months apart. That's it. They were both built at the same time. Well, I did some research and found out that the Bay Bridge design during the construction, 28 people died. 28 people died because of the conditions. But the Golden Gate Bridge, which is actually closer to the ocean, harder conditions, only 11 people die. And actually 10 of those lives were, were just one horrific accident with scaffolding. So they had such a low rate of death. What I found out is the reason so many less lives were lost is because the designer, Joseph Strauss, invested in a safety net under the bridge. That net cost him $130,000. That's a lot of money right, in the 1930s. Well, what else I found out is that net saved 19 men. 19 men fell into the net, and all 19 were saved. Not only that, found out the budget, they were $1.3 million under budget. That was a pretty good investment. $1.3 million under budget. When asked about this, it was explained this way, quote, the net helped speed construction while giving workers a sense of security. Knowing they wouldn't die, empowered them to produce. Here's why I tell that story. If you're significant in Christ, secure in Christ, accepted in Christ, forgiven in Christ, well, you're empowered in Christ. Come on. Out of everything we do in our lives as believers should be the most production, not to earn God's favor as a natural result of who we are. All your jobs, no matter how great they are, they're not 100% secure. Our health, not 100% secure. What is 100% secure is our position in Christ. How can that not empower us? That's the last thing. As an heir with Christ, we need to be empowered men and women of the living God who show a watching world what it means to live for Jesus. We have all the empowerment we need. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.20, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. 
You see, an ambassador, ambassador never spoke to please the audience or never spoke his own words. He always spoke for the king who sent him. That's what we're called to do. As empowered fellow heirs with Christ, we speak the words of the king. We represent the king. We live out for the king. And we don't do that on our own power. Ron's going to drill down Acts 1.8 in a few weeks and the importance of that verse. And that verse says that we receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon us. Empower to do what? To be his witnesses. We have all the power we need to be the witnesses that Christ calls us to be. So uh, I grew up in a family that lived paycheck to paycheck. Um, I asked my parents, can I share some family stuff? They said, yeah, go ahead. We don't care. So uh, my dad was a pastor. My mom a nurse. Dad's still a pastor. Mom is still a nurse. Uh, we lived in a two-bedroom townhome most of my life. I, I shared a bedroom with my, my two brothers. And they're okay with me sharing with you this morning that I will not be receiving a major financial inheritance uh, one day. They're okay with me sharing that with you this morning. But I want to tell you this. I could care less about the financial inheritance. You know why? Because I have already received the greatest blessing. I received the spiritual legacy from my mom and dad of what it means to live for Jesus Christ. The most important thing. You know, my parents have gone through a lot. My dad has battled two bouts of depression. I've seen low moments in their marriage, but not once did they waver on their vows. That's under God. Times money was tight. We had this cash envelope where we would see, man, when that thing got slim, we knew it was tight. Never once did they did not give God their first fruits. They gave to him no matter what. They made sure that was a priority. And as young boys, we would sit on the couch at night and my dad would lead us in the word of God. And my mom would sing songs of praise with us. And as a grown adult, uh, my wife and I have two kids When our son Ezra was born, he couldn't sleep. I would go in his room and I would rock him. And naturally, without even really thinking about it, I would start singing, majesty, worship his majesty. Unto Jesus be all glory, honor, and praise. Um, Folks in Wilkinsburg are probably shaking their heads that I sang on stage, but um, that was my mom's favorite song. And I share that because that stuff's ingrained in me. It's ingrained in me. Greater than any financial inheritance they're gonna give me, they've given me everything we need. A spiritual legacy of what it looks like to find your significance, security, acceptance, forgiveness, and empowerment in Jesus Christ. So a guy asked me after the first service, I try to do that, but my kids just fight each other. I said, yeah, we did that too. So don't worry. Uh, what they react, because they tell you what, keep doing it. Keep feeding them the word. Keep showing them what it looks like. Trust me, they're watching. And I don't think it's coincidence. God can do whatever he wants that all three of their boys are following hard after Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you, church, today, as a fellow heir with Jesus Christ, live empowered lives to represent him. Your children need to see it. Your grandchildren need to see it. Your coworkers, your neighbors need to see it. The children and teenagers of this church need to see it. Man, we need to be a visual example of what it means to be empowered fellow heirs with Christ. Today, I want to speak to two people, and you're in either boat. First, 
If you're here today and you have never trusted in Jesus Christ, your first step is to do that. Admit that you're a sinner. You can't get to God on your own. And Romans 10.9 says this, if you profess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Today, today, you can become a child of God and a fellow heir with Jesus Christ. There'll be leaders after service right up here. We would love to pray with you. Don't go out those doors here. Don't go out those doors in Washington, Robinson, Wilkinsburg, wherever you're at, without nailing down for sure that you are a fellow heir with Christ. And for believers, here's my, my challenge for you. How are you embracing what it means to live as a fellow heir with Christ? Maybe you're here today and you know those words, right? You know those things we talked about, but it's not happening in your life. Maybe something got in the way. Maybe there's sin you need to confess and nail down. Maybe you're spiritually stagnant. Allow us to come into your life, help you, get connected. We all need Christian fellowship. We all need to be in the word, need to be in prayer. Allow us to come alongside you. We would love to pray with you after service. Because, man, we, we need everyone in this room to walk out those doors. Everyone in that beautiful building in Robinson. God has given you all the tools you need. In Washington, those beautiful wood, uh, wooden doors in the front of the building. I was just there for a wedding on Friday. Wilkinsburg, God has blessed us with everything we need. Wherever you're at online, we need to leave here empowered, empowered on who we are in Christ to represent him. Let's go out together, unified in that.